Well, we're in Exodus chapter 20. We're looking at verse 12. This is the uh, commandment that every parent loves to echo to their child. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) As we look at this uh, at this particular commandment, it's uh, it's important for us to contextualize it. Um, Today, family is under fairly strong attack in our country, traditional family in that sense. Uh, uh, Many of our educators, uh, our social scientists, our lawmakers are making efforts to redefine the family to mean any group of people living together in any kind of relationship. Much is said today about family values. But the question is, what's meant by family values? When you move from a traditional Judeo-Christian ethic and you move to a uh, a secular view of family uh, devoid of any kind of spiritual values, uh, then you have reason to question, what are traditional values? What are family values? The first and best place to look for family values is in the Bible. God designed the family, and he gave us a design for family, and he gave us a design for how families should function. The Ten Commandments, indeed, provide the very basis for our value system. Ten Commandments provide the basis for our Judeo-Christian ethic, upon which all of our values are based. And the Fifth Commandment, in particular, is the pivotal commandment. This is an absolute critical commandment, Uh, for the uh, success, for the well-being, not only of individuals, but of families, uh, of the church, and certainly of a culture or society. Fifth commandment is absolutely essential. Now, the first four commandments address our vertical relationship with God. We've been studying those commandments. That's a critical relationship. Um, the The last six commandments address our human or horizontal relationships. The arrangement of these commandments is not accidental, it's not incidental, it is intentional. The message is clear, the message is very simple. We must be first rightly related to God before we can be rightly related to those around us. That's the bottom line. I've got to be in a right relationship with God, the one who made me. And if I'm not in a right relationship with God, I can't be in a right relationship with myself or I can't be in a right relationship with those around me. How many have had a bad hair day? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I mean, things just aren't clicking. Some of us have bad hair days. I'm sorry. (laughs) I saw Patty look at Mike. (laughs) Did you apologize? I'm sorry for that remark. All of us know what it's like to be out of sorts, and, and, and you, can, you can, if you think about it, you can trace your out of sortsness back to being out of sort with God. If I'm out of sorts with God, I'm going to be out of sorts with myself. And if I'm out of sorts with myself, I'm certainly going to be out of sorts with my neighbors, and people around me are going to be miserable. And so the, there's, a, there's a certain structure, there's a certain direction, there's a certain dimension to relationships that God has designed. It starts with him first. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, When I have learnt to love God better than my earthly dearest, 
I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God or instead of God, I shall be moving toward the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, he says, second things are not suppressed, but increased. There's a natural, or I should say a supernatural flow of events. When God is first in my life, other things get blessed. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things, he says, he will attend to. So it's very, very important. And C.S. Lewis is just simply referring to the, the logic embedded in the, just the very structure of the Ten Commandments. Again, the first four... When they are obeyed, this is key. It's not just acknowledge them. The first four commandments, when they are obeyed, they grace us with a deep love for God so that we can love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. How many were at the For Couples Only this last Wednesday night? What a tremendous time. Tremendous. Stan and Marcy here with us, and we're, we're grateful for their willingness to share with us. But they said something I thought was very, very significant and they spoke about the, the issue of obedience to God's command, God's call in their life. When they got back together after being divorced for six years, uh, they didn't get back together because they loved each other and had warm fuzzies about each other. They were convinced uh, and convicted, indeed, of God's call on their life and uh, his command for them to do this. And they did it by faith. They obeyed. Stan likes to describe it as, as kind of like building a framework and then God fills in the framework. And so the same principle is true. It's, it's if you sit around waiting until you feel love of God or feel love from God, you're going to be sitting there all day long. The principle is that you step out in obedience. This requires, this is what it means to live by faith, okay? I'm gonna, I trust you. You say to do this, I'm going to do it. And guess what? Everything else comes after that. He fills our heart with love for himself and as well for our neighbors. The two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But so those are commands. Those aren't suggestions. And that love, the feelings of love, which sometimes I think many, many people get confused with, well, I should feel something. No, no, no. Love is a command. You obey, and then the feelings follow. Make sense? Yeah. To some it makes sense. And others, we, they're still pondering it, I know. Because we, we live in such a, a warm, fuzzy environment, don't we? Everyone wants to feel good about these things. No, it's simply obedience. So now, as we've, as we've understand obeying the first four commandments, now we turn to the following six, and the fifth one uh, being the first of those. Uh, and this commands us, to love our nearest and dearest, if I can use C.S. Lewis's words. Verse 12 says, Honor your father, father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now remember, this command is given to whom? Who's, who's the command initially directed to? To Israel. God's preparing to take them into the promised land. He's prepared the land for them. It's a land that, 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 that they didn't prepare. They're going to have houses they didn't build. They're going to have vineyards that they didn't plant. Uh, fields that they didn't cultivate. Uh, they're gonna, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. God's going to bless them. He intends for them to enjoy that land for generation after generation after generation. But what's key to enjoying that land after all these generations is that the children learn to obey their parents. 
And in so doing, now the heritage can be passed on to the next generation. Obedience is key. Family, uh, the con- continuance of the family is key, as we shall see. So he says, children, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. This is God's unchanging formula. It's unchanging. It is a principle that applies to every culture, every time in the history of mankind. And it's God's unchanging formula for the blessing of the family. It contains indispensable wisdom to children and to adults. It's God's message for young and old alike, as we shall see. Now, the Hebrew word for honor is chabed. It means simply to give weight or dignity towards. It seems to me uh, in the last election or prior to that, there was this term being bantied about gravitas. Remember that term? Certain people are supposed to have gravitas. It's a certain weightiness or or, or, uh, um, uh, heaviness, if you will, dignity. So to accord somebody honor is to, in effect, accord them a certain measure of weight or dignity. Now, whether you're a child living at home or even an adult with one or more living parents, this command is still in force for you. It matters not if you're a child. It matters not if you're a full-grown adult. The command applies to all of us. We never outgrow the moral obligations that God has given us. We're all under God's moral law. Would you agree? Now, children, more particularly, we're going to address children first. Children pass through different phases of how to express honor to their parents. For instance, when one is a child, the focus should be on obedience. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul interprets that verse. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, parents may not always be right, but it is always right for a child to obey them. That's what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, notice, it says that uh, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, in the Bible, disobedience is a serious crime. Disobedience is a serious crime. And under the Mosaic Law, if a child showed disrespect, if a child showed dishonor, disobedience to a parent, that child was to be brought outside the city gates and, what? Stoned. Stoned. We had had a couple in our church years ago who were, they'd met in our church, they were both, uh, had children. The, the woman had uh, five boys, all under 12. Yes, you can imagine. And she was raising five boys all by herself. So she met Don, who was a big, burly, strapping guy, and uh, he began to bring some order to the chaos. But uh, they called me one day. I, we, you know, they had gotten married. We had a single, single parents ministry. And, and uh, do you remember Don and, and uh, Trudy? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, as single parents' ministries go, they, they, you have a ministry, it begins to flourish and burgeon, and, and then all of a sudden they start meeting each other, and, and then you have single parents' ministry no, no more, right? Because they all get married. 
So there's, a, there's a, this thing, the single parents ministry. Well, they got married, and it was a wonderful time. We were all excited for them, and um, excited these boys had a strong father figure in their life. And so Don called me one day, and he, uh, he said, we've got to talk to you. And I said, what is it about? He said, well, just, we, we have an emergency. I said, okay. So they, they, uh, we got together, and, and uh, they said, uh, we, uh, we know that you've always taught us that the Bible, the Bible is always a resource. Any problem, any question, search the scriptures. God will provide the answer. So we've been having trouble with the boys disciplining them. So we searched the scriptures, and we found the passage in Deuteronomy 21. <laughs> They've been disobedient, but we thought before we implement it, we should come and talk to you. <laughs> so I, I said, it's a good thing. In Deuteronomy 21, it tells us, if a man has a stubborn uh, and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gates of the town. They shall say to the elders, the son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then the elders of the town shall say, he needs counseling. Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. This is, this is severe, isn't it? But you have to understand how, how God intended for his people to be holy and how any hint of evil, and we'll see this as we go through the laws and the sacrifices and so forth, it was a very, very uh, rigid, rigid society. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. And so there is a deterrent effect to capital punishment, obviously. But the point is, is that, is that this was a severe form of discipline for disobedience, for rebellion of, of children. I wonder how many of us would be around today uh, if we were <laughs> under that law. Thank God we're not under that law, but we're under his grace. Amen? But that passage does reveal how seriously God how seriously God regards disobedience. Now the question comes up, well, what if parents are wrong? What about that? Well, obviously, when Scripture says we are to obey them, we are to obey them in the Lord, it's a reference that, to his commands. His commands always come first. Obey them in the Lord. If a parent tells a child to do something that is contrary to God's word, obviously uh, that child is not obligated to obey. Children are to obey their parents simply because God said to do it. Whatever God says is right. That's an article of faith. We believe that the word is true. The word is God's word. And he gives us direction. And it's for our good. And so children are to obey God simply and obey their parents simply because God said to do so. He is preparing children for life. And the first encounter with authority figures is with their parents. And we're all going to have to deal with authority figures in our life, aren't we? Our whole life, we're dealing with higher authorities. If we develop a habit of disrespect, if we develop a habit of rebellion and disobedience as children, there will be severe consequences down the road. We understand that. And it's a tragedy that there are lots and lots of kids today who are absolutely clueless about obedience and the necessity to submit to appropriate authority. If a child doesn't learn to submit to his or her parents, that child will not find it easy to submit later on to teachers, 
that child will not find it easy to submit to employers or even legal authorities. If you were to go to any prison in our land today and you were to speak to inmates, I suspect you would not hear any one of those inmates say this, this was my goal in life, to end up here in prison. Not one of them would have wanted that. But somewhere along the way, they got off track. Somewhere along the way, they started rebelling against authority. Many of them never learned the basics, simply to obey their parents. Because they were rebellious against their parents' authority, they become rebellious against school authority and then the law. The older we get, the more severe the consequence of our disobedience. The Bible teaches those who don't learn to obey seldom live a long life, seldom live a happy life, a fulfilling life. And this fifth command is the first command with a promise. I love this. The promise is very simple. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 explains the promise. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I raised my son with this verse. I used to tell him all the time, I said, do you want it to go well with you? Yes, Dad. Do you want to live long? (laughs) Yes, Dad. All right. Honor your mother and your father. (laughs) Notice this. God says that you will enjoy long life if you follow this command. How many want to enjoy long life? You know, I've met a lot of old, miserable people in my life. I mean, miserable people. The best way, I think, to ensure that you enjoy a long, happy life is to obey your parents. It's a simple secret. Obey your parents. Very simple. Now, as children grow into adolescence, the focus begins to shift to the need to show respect for their parents. During the time of growing and learning and changing, many teenagers, amazingly, think they know everything and can do everything. (laughs) Teens often look at their parents or teachers or people that they, as little ones, they looked up to them, and now they look at them and they think, how could I have ever thought that person was brilliant? Especially my parents. They are absolutely clueless. Now, at this time of life, during the teenage years, it is very human and very natural, if not trained properly, for teenagers to show disrespect for authority figures. It's critical that we train up our children from the get-go. It's critical that they learn obedience from the get-go, because when they reach those teenage years, if they've not been trained properly, it is very natural very human, for them to show disrespect. And that disrespect can manifest itself in lots of different ways, outwardly and inwardly. Isn't that true? Some of you parents understand that. Parents of teenagers, I'm convinced, should have this warning label attached to their foreheads. Warning. The Word of God has determined that disobedience and disrespect to your parents can be harmful to your health and well-being. You like that? <laughs> Too late, though, huh? <laughs> For some of us. <laughs> now, it can be tough to raise teenagers. Mark Twain, the humorist, once said, 
When your son turns 13, put him in a barrel and feed him through the knot hole. <laughs> when he turns 16, plug up the knot hole. <laughs> now, while it may certainly be difficult to raise teenagers, remember that it is difficult being a teenager. Teens often become sullen because they are absolutely certain that their parents don't have a clue about what it means to be a teen. You just don't understand. You just don't understand. You don't know what I have to deal with. Teens somehow forget the obvious truth that every parent was him or herself at one time a teenager. Times may be different, but the hormones and the pressures are still the same. Teens of every generation have shared the same thoughts, the same feelings, the same problems that the current generation of teens are experiencing. If a teenager can just realize that respecting their if they could just respect their parents so that they can survive adolescence, they just hold on, survive adolescence, God will bless the rest of their life. They have to have through vision. I'm just going to survive this. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to respect my parents because I know that once I get through these, or these teen years, God's going to bless my life if I respect my parents. Amazing how much hangs on so apparently so little. Isn't that true? Sadly, too many teenagers lose respect for their parents and it leads to all kinds of ruin and all kinds of destruction. Now, I know there's a number of teenagers here uh, this morning. You're listening to me. Maybe your parents made you come. Maybe you volunteered to come. Certainly there are going to be teenagers who are going to be listening to the tape and or the CD of this sermon, because I know <laughs> parents are going to be lining up to get a copy of it to take home. And you may be wondering, as a teenager, you may be wondering yourself how you can change your parents so that your life will be more tolerable. After all, it's not your fault. How can I change my parents? Well, I have good news for you. I have three surefire parent-reforming strategies. <laughs> These work every single time. I promise you, you can take that to the bank, okay? How many want to know these three surefire parent-changing... Okay, look at all the hands of the kids are going up, all right. Okay, here's the first one. Ready? Try courtesy and good manners. Try courtesy and good manners. Add these eight simple words to your vocabulary. Just eight words make all the difference in the world. Ready? Here they are. Yes, Mom. Yes, Dad. Thank you. And I'm sorry. Eight words. Tremendous. You'll find that when you use these words... Your parents may be shocked at first, but then they will indeed start treating you with great respect, and before long you will find that they are getting smarter and easier to get along with. It works every single time. Here's the second strategy. Try expressing appreciation to them. Now, as a teenager, if you can think about this, if you can just kind of fast-forward your life about 20-plus years to when you have kids, do you suspect that maybe you might want your kids uh, to tell you how much they appreciate you? 
I think that's a fair assumption. Since you will no doubt want that, you want your kids to love you and appreciate you, remember that what you sow in life, you're going to reap. There's a law of sowing and reaping. The only way to reap a crop of appreciation from your future children is to plant plenty of seeds of appreciation with your parents today. You cannot tell your parents enough, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you, I appreciate you, I appreciate you. There was a teenager who went to see the school counselor because he was stressed out. The counselor said, first question, tell me about your family. They always start with the family. Tell me about your family. Teenager said, well, my dad loves me, buys me things. He takes me to ball games. We do lots of things together. He supports me in everything I do. My mom cooks for me, cleans my clothes. She tells me she loves me. She hugs me all the time. She tells me she's proud of me. Counselor was puzzled and said, well, sounds like you have a great family life. Why are you so stressed out? Teen said, I'm afraid they're going to escape. <laughs> See, most teenagers do have good life at home, don't they? Most teenagers do. So if that's the case for you, try telling your parents, thank you. Try telling your parents, I appreciate you. You will be pleasantly surprised by their reaction. Here's a third strategy. Try helpfulness. Now, if I just ask this question of the teenagers here this morning, what does your bedroom look like right now? <laughs> There's a sign-up sheet at the information counter for parents who want the pastor to come visit and check out the bedroom of their kids. No, that's a joke. There's no sign-up sheet. Truth be known, most, most kids' rooms look like the city dump. One teen, looking at his parents' wedding pictures, asked his father, is this when mom came to work for us? (laughs) Yeah. Teenagers, let me give you a hint. Your parents do not exist to pick up after you. As a part of the family, you need to help them keep things neat. Here's a practical assignment. First, clean up your room without being asked. Then, go to your mom and ask if there's anything else that you could do around the house to help her today. Now, you may need to know CPR, (laughs) because surely she's going to pass out. These three strategies will make your teenage years a lot more bearable, and you will be making an investment in respect that will pay great dividends for you in the future. Take good care of your parents, for they're the only ones you'll ever have. Now, even when we become adults, we're still bound by the fifth commandment. Now, we're no longer obligated to obey our parents, but we are always obligated to honor them. This means that when you and your parents grow older, you have a responsibility to honor, indeed treasure, your parents. As parents grow older, they often become dependent upon their grown children. If that's the case for you, don't see your parents as a burden. See them as a blessing. It's your honor, it's your privilege to care for them. After all, they cared for you when you were totally dependent upon them. And there are several ways that grown children may honor their parents. First is by showing respect. 
In the Old Testament economy, respect for one's parents was considered so important that it was linked with the Sabbath. And uh, thus it was seen as essential for living. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3 says, Each of you must respect his mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. In other words, I've said this. He links up honoring parents with the Sabbath. The Sabbath was important to God, important to the Israelites for their health and well-being. He links the two together, obviously honoring parents is, a, is essential for life and well-being. Respect always involves speaking kindly to one's parents and speaking kindly of one's parents. I had a conversation with somebody just the other day, and uh, they were sharing with me about their conversations with their sibling, and uh, the sibling said, you're just like our mother. That is not speaking kindly of your parent. That's not showing respect. It may be true, but you don't need to say it. You don't even need to think it. It's a challenge for most of us to, to guard our thought life, how we think about one another. Okay? So the first way is very simply to show respect. How I speak to them, how I speak of them, indeed how I think about them. Secondly, provision. If necessary, that you provide for your parents' material needs. Jesus, in Matthew 15, uh, noted that the religious leaders of his day had exempted themselves from providing for their aged parents. There was a, a Jewish tradition amongst the Israelites, amongst the Jewish leaders, uh, and it was a tradition of korban. You've probably heard that term. And that basically said that uh, if their parents were in need and they had the resources to do it, they could say, well, these resources are to be devoted to God, therefore I can't help you. And Jesus absolutely took him to task for that. The idea is that we have a responsibility to care for our parents. Uh, any Christian who neglects his or her parents is guilty of breaking the fifth commandment. It's that simple. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, uh, puts it this way, that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially his immediate family, that would include his parents, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? It's hard to imagine anything worse than being an unbeliever. But you can actually be considered, in the sight of God, worse than an unbeliever. If one claims to be a Christian and doesn't care for his family, he is worse than an unbeliever. This would include aging parents. Thirdly, show consideration. Show consideration. That means just remember them. Call them. Write to them. Take time to be with them. Include them. Do them acts of kindness. Go out of your way for them. Here, our modern culture's sin is of scandalous proportions. There are convalescent homes and hospitals all over our land where many elderly men and women who have prosperous living children endure months and even years without a visit. That is a grievous, grievous violation of the fifth commandment. We have a, we have a number of people in our church that, that visit and over the years have visited and ministered in convalescent hospitals, and uh, I've done so myself. And, and it's just tragic to see the people just wasting away, and you inquire, and, and no one's visited them. 
families just, quite frankly, just warehouse them there and abandon them, not honoring their parents. There's a fourth way in which we can do that. It's through instruction. And that very simply means that we instruct our children to honor our parents. We model that for them. Our children watch us honoring our parents, so therefore they honor their grandparents. They watch our instruction. They watch our life. They listen to our words. Kids are like sponges, aren't they? They just pick up stuff from us, and most of the time we're just clueless about it. But they watch us, and they're going to follow our example. If we're honoring our parents, then they're going to model, they're going to follow after that, and they will honor their grandparents. And fifthly, character. We bring honor to our parents through our own character. Listen to uh, Proverbs chapter 23. Verse 24, the father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. You see, through how you live your life and how you demonstrate character, it gives your parents great cause for rejoicing and great cause for joy. Upright children become a precious crown uh, to an old gray head. Now, throughout our history, as a country and as a world, history of mankind more particularly, we, we have on record all manner of civilizations, all manner of cultures. And the most wicked have one thing in common that is significant. They've always neglected the elderly. In the Roman Empire, even, as late as the year 60 A.D., they were still taking old people and drowning them in the Tiber River. As late as last century, the Eskimos uh, would very often, they had, a, cult, they had a, a practice of taking their old people and putting them on ice floes and letting them drift out to sea and die of exposure. There are a number of different ways in which, uh, essentially, pagan, wicked cultures have dealt with the elderly. And many are advocating that today in our own society that when people reach an advanced age, they are essentially worthless to society. To some, old people are seen just simply as an inconvenience and a drain on our resources. They've lost their utilitarian value. I think one of the scariest things about our culture is that we have become to a place where we devalue life. Life is not that important. And people shoot each other, they give no thought to it. Uh, people are, even in, in, in the schools, our, our high schools and grade schools, we see that as an, an alarming thing. Uh, for the, just the sake of convenience, and this is the bottom line truth, for the sake of convenience, we have killed over 40 million babies since legalizing abortion in 1973. Now when I say that, I, I know that undoubtedly there are people in this room who have had some participation, either you've had an abortion or you've participated in that in some way as a man maybe. I don't say this thing to, to heap guilt on you, to make you feel bad. I, I say this because it's a fact. Our, our, our culture and society is, is moving ever more quickly towards a greater and greater greater devaluation of life, and, and we see this. And it's a tragedy. But if you've had part of that, and you've not come to Christ and received forgiveness and healing from that, there is that to be had. God does love you, and he does want you to be forgiven. He's provided for that at the cross. 
It's, he doesn't mean for you to go on suffering the effects of that. I had exposure just a few weeks ago to a, a young girl, uh, who, a teenager, who's already undergone three abortions. And uh, she is now sterile. She'll not be able to have children for the rest of her life. And she doesn't really realize the, 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 the effects of all this in her life. She just, right now, she just doesn't know. But uh, most, most every woman who's in touch with herself uh, in the reality of this issue, there are repercussions of having an abortion that will haunt her for the rest of her life. The only place you find peace in that is going to Jesus and let him comfort you. His supernatural peace and comfort and his forgiveness. But the, real, the bottom line is that we, we have become a culture that devalues life. And the next logical step uh, is in this disposable life mindset is to encourage youth, euthanasia of the elderly. The next step after that is mandatory elimination of those who no longer contribute to the society. We've just seen that in Florida the last month with that Terry Schiavo case. Regardless of how you stand on that, the bottom line is uh, there was a life. A life. And uh, we just, quite frankly, didn't value it. And it just follows the logic of our secular humanist teaching that the, uh, only the strong survive, right? That's the f- full implication uh, of, of secular thinking and teaching. Medical science, technology are allowing people to live longer and longer these days. Many people in their 60s and 70s are still dealing with their living parents. Regardless of the age or health of your parents, God's word says that you must always honor and respect them. But you say, what if my, but what if my parents didn't treat me in ways that are honorable? Should I then still honor them? What do you think? Yeah. Absolutely. Perhaps you have been victim of verbal abuse or maybe physical abuse or even more tragically, sexual abuse at the hands of parents. Maybe you're angry with your parents because they divorced or abandoned you or failed to love you. Maybe they were too strict with you and rigid and legalistic. and Maybe they never hugged you or said they loved you. Maybe you suffer from those things. And as a result, even though you're an adult, you may find yourself harboring resentment and bitterness to them. How can you honor them if that's the case? How can you get past that if that's the case, if God calls you to honor them? And when he says honor your parents, there's no qualifications, are there? Honor them only if they were. So how do you get past that? How do you get past that resentment and bitterness, the, the anger towards them that you may still hold, if they're still alive, or even if they've passed on? Anybody have an idea about that? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Oh, I can't forgive them what they did. Yes, you can. And you must. And you must. If you don't, it's going to eat you alive. You're going to pass on a heritage of embitterment and, and resentment to your kids, to the next generation. It's just inevitable. Forgiveness. You've got to humble yourself and be willing to forgive. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, forgive whatever grievances you may have. No qualification. Whatever grievances, forgive. 
as the Lord forgave you. How many are glad that God has forgiven you all your sins? He, doesn't, he didn't set any aside and say, well, I'm going to forgive you all these, but this one is really bad. I'm not going to forgive you for this one. No, he's forgiven us all of our sins. And he says, in our instructions, is, is, you say, well, I don't know that I can do that. If you're a Christian, you have the spirit of the living God living in you. You have the power of the living God available to you if you will submit and surrender to it and say, yes, Lord, I forgive. And the power of God will come to bear. And the miracle will happen in your life. This is part of the, the great hope that we have. It's a living hope of being a Christian. I can forgive. I don't have to hold on to that. I don't have to be plagued by this bitterness and resentment that's making me smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller as a person. It's diminishing my life. Forgive. And remember one thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the only way to heal the past. It's the only way to be free from the past. No other way. Not going through psychotherapy, just forgiveness. you got a person, forgive them. And when you forgive somebody, you have to start just simply with the act of forgiveness. You can't wait till you feel forgiving. you got to make a decision, okay, I forgive you. And you don't even have to tell the person. You don't have to go to say to them. You say, I forgive you. You don't have to prove a point with them. It's, this is you and God. You do it in your own heart. I forgive. And because you've been so used to having the feelings crop up and again and again and again and something stimulate you and, and you feel that resentment, you say, nope. Every time that happens, you say, nope, I forgave. Nope, I forgave. No, I forgave. And then after a while, you'll begin to see that those feelings diminish and they become extinct. They disappear. And in their place, there's a new appreciation, new love, a new fondness developed for your parent, even the one who is so abusive. You never, ever have to tell them a word. Then you can go to them and say, I love you. <sighs> Powerful. I can't tell you over the years, a number of people have come and, and shared with me about this very same dynamic, and I've told them, given that counsel, they've not had to go say anything to a parent, but rather they've gone through this process and then at some point, they were able, they were released, they were free. A new love filled their heart, and they went to their parent. And there was reconciliation, there was healing. Most recently, last night, someone came and told me this very thing happened to him. And now there's just, it was just, it was just beautiful. And lastly, hidden below the surface of the fifth commandment is the principle for parents. That is very simply, be honorable. Be honorable. Strive to be the kind of parent that your children can honor. The very best thing that parents can give their children is who they are, who they're becoming, a good example of what's true and right and noble and honest and good. That's the best thing you can give your kids, who you are, who you're becoming. Never ends. Our children are going to grow up and they're going to treat their children the way we treat them. That's why honorable parents always set a good example. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's about example. We have to realize that our children are going to follow our example before they follow our teaching. 
What are they used to seeing us do? How are they used to seeing us live? They're going to follow that example. You can talk to them all day long until you're blue in the face, and most moms do. Isn't that true? It's our example that they're going to follow. So be an honorable parent. The fifth commandment is indeed intended by God to bring life. Life to children, life to families, life to the church, and in the long run, life to a society, life to a culture. Today, as the family is under such attack from the academic community, from the political arena, from pop culture, there can scarcely be a more relevant life and death call. It will not go well with us if we neglect this word from God. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you again. We love you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who makes that word real to us. Thank you for the hope that we have of life, life to the max. Thank you that you are a great God. And Father, thank you for our parents. For those of us who struggle, Lord, with our parents, Help us to understand these principles and indeed to apply them to our life. For those of us who need to forgive our parents, I pray, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts and grant us repentance and the willingness to forgive. Lord, that you be glorified. We love you this morning. We give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and let's praise God before we dismiss.